All right. Good morning. Good to see you here today, church. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, Pastor G is retiring after next week. Oh, I know. So sad. Uh, but uh, we're excited to have all of our kids back in the building on July 5th and that opportunity for them to get back together face-to-face with all their teachers. Maybe Pastor G will make a return sometime in the future. But uh, anyhow, so he's retiring, though, after next week. We'll have a lot of fun next week, though, signing off. Um, uh, we wanna, we're in a series on the book of Proverbs, and so today we're talking about the topic of self-control. I want to begin by just giving you a definition of what self-control is. Self-control is bringing our passions, our wants, our appetites, and desires under control to the point that they, know, they don't dictate what we do and tell us what we're going to say, but rather that we tell those appetites what we're going to do and what we're going to say. And so we make them uh, things that honor God and that bring the blessings of God into our life. Um, Christians struggle with self-control. This is not just some issue that people out in the world deal with, but this is something that Christians deal with as well. Um, See if any of these self-control areas connect with you. Perhaps you might say to yourself, you know what, I told myself I'm not going to get angry at the kids again, and then they walk in the house this past week, and they pushed all my buttons, and I blew up, and there we are again. Um, Every night I tell myself I'm not going to watch TV uh, but then I get home, it's been a long day, the news is on, and then, of course, the Wheel of Fortune, i got to watch that, and Tucker, and then Netflix shows, and before you know it, five, six hours have passed by, and I've completely wasted my whole evening in front of the TV set. Or how about this one? I mean to get up every morning at 6 a.m. to start my day with prayer, to start my day with reading God's Word, but then the covers are so warm, and it feels so good just to roll over and pull the sheets over my head, oh well. Um, Or perhaps my wife and I have set up this budget, and in our budget, it does not include going out to eat during the middle of the week, and my wife is tired, it's the middle of the week, I'm tired, the kids are cranky, Uh, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do, and so we blow the budget again. Friends, self-control is not a worldly problem, it is a Christian problem too. And I would venture to say that more lives have been ruined, and more lives have never reached their full potential because of a lack of self-control more so than any disease or virus known to man. And that's why God speaks to this issue of self-control repeatedly through the Bible, specifically or particularly a lot in the book of Proverbs. So we're going to tackle that today. i got two verses for us to read. If you would stand to your feet, we're going to read Proverbs chapter 28, I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28, and then skip back to chapter 16 and verse 32. So let's read together Proverbs 25 and verse 28. Here we go. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. And then chapter 16 and verse 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. You may be seated. Thank you so much. All right, so we're going to analyze these two verses. The first of these verses kind of approaches self-control from the negative. We're looking at somebody who does not have it, okay? So let's look at Proverbs 25 and verse 28, starting there. It says that a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So there's a word picture here that the Bible creates of this city that has no walls. Now, cities back in Bible times, their number one line of defense was that they would have a wall built around that city. It would keep invaders out. It would keep people who wanted to loot the city out. And so they would be able to protect the city that way. Um, Think about the city of Jericho, the ancient city of Jericho that the Israelites walked around seven times over seven days, seven times on the seventh day. And at the end of that, the walls came down, and so the Israelites were able to pour into the city. They were able to take the city because it was defenseless, because it was without walls. The city of Babylon, 
back in Bible times, was known to have walls that were 12 feet thick that encompassed that entire city, which is part of what, what made that such a fortified um, and, and a strong nation. And then, of course, there was the city of Jerusalem with the wall around it. Again, these walls protected the cities from outsiders coming in. And the number one line of defense, without that wall, the city was left totally defenseless. And so the picture that God is presenting of here is that when a person has no self-control, they're like a city that has no walls. They're somebody who is completely at, uh, you know, anything that comes along, anything that catches their eye, anybody that would lure them towards something, they're just unprotected, they're vulnerable, and they'll pursue after it. Let me give you an example from the Bible of some people who are like that. Um, the Bible talks about a guy named Samson. He had this thing for a young lady named Delilah. Delilah caught his eye. Whenever she'd come around, he was weak in the knees. His mom and dad told him, she's no good. You don't want don't to have anything to do with her. Get her out of your life. But, um, but Samson wouldn't listen. And because he wouldn't listen, because he was, he was vulnerable in, uh, with Delilah, he, um, it led to his destruction. Um, how about Moses, who in a moment... And just a momentary lapse of self-control became angry, and he struck the rock when God told him to speak to the rock. And so Moses was disobedient in that, and because of that, because of that momentary lapse of self-control, Moses was never able to enter into the promised land. How about Jacob, that because of an unholy ambition, stole his brother's birthright and spent 20 years alienated from his family. And then going all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, to the story of Cain and Abel. Cain, who was jealous for his brother um, and wanted what his brother had, um, didn't have enough self-control to contain that jealousy, and he ended up murdering his brother, and he was banished from, from God for the rest of his life. We could go on and on and on through the Bible, story after story, of people who lacked self-control, and because they didn't have that self-control, it led to a disaster later on down the road for them. These people were like cities with no walls. Um, so what God is trying to tell us is that when you're a city without walls, when you're a man or woman without self-control, we are a disaster waiting to happen. Now, let's take a look at the other passage that we just shared, uh, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 32, um, and it gives the more positive response. So we saw what a person who doesn't have self-control, where that can lead. Let's see what it looks like when a person actually has it, okay? Proverbs 16 and verse 32, it says a man, uh, the other one said without self-control. Here it says, um, it paints a word picture here. It says, whoever is slow to anger that is a man or woman who has self-control. They get to the boiling point of anger, but they're able to still stay calm. They're able to get substantially frustrated, yet they're still able to contain themselves and hold all that together. They have restraint. God says that person is better than the mighty. Now that word mighty is used in Hebrew language to refer to somebody who is a soldier out on the battlefield who has displayed tremendous valor. Somebody who can go into a very difficult, stressful situation and they can fight in the midst of all that stress, and they can come out victorious. This is somebody who the Bible describes as mighty. And so God says here that a person who has self-control is better than a person who has that kind of valor. So God is saying, basically, if I'm choosing teams here, I'd rather go with a person who has self-control than I would go with somebody who has great valor. And then the, Bible, in the middle of verse 32 goes on to say that that person who has self-control rules his own spirit better than he who takes a whole city. So again, God's saying, not only would I rather have somebody who has self-control over somebody who's mighty, but this person who's mighty could even take a whole city by themselves. It's a great warrior. God says, I'd still prefer the person with self-control. Why? Because conquering your own spirit is harder than taking a whole city. Say, Gordon, taking a whole city is pretty tough. It is. But the Bible says, 
conquering our own feelings and drives and appetites is even more, diff more difficult. So self-control is an important part of the Christian life. In fact, it's so important that God makes it a criteria for leadership in the church. Paul, in writing to Timothy, says, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, he's telling Timothy about some of the qualifications for elders in the church. He says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer or an elder, verse 2, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, that is not a polygamist, sober-minded, self-controlled. God tells us that if a man or woman is to serve in Christian leadership, then they have to be able to rule over their own emotions. They have to be a person who has self-control. Um, then they dare not put somebody who can't rule over their own emotions, who gives into their desires and their appetites, dare not put somebody like that in leadership because they are a disaster waiting to happen. Okay, let's summarize what we've learned so far. We've learned that self-control is a key element in a person's destiny. Having a good heart is a really nice thing, right? There's lots of people out there who have really good hearts. Having good intentions is a great thing. There's lots of people out there who have great intentions, but... Um, and having godly motives is commendable, but the only Christian who is able to control his or her passions, only the Christian who is able to control their appetite for food and sex and power and money and material things, only the Christian who is able to master their thought life and to force themselves to do what is right, only that Christian will reach their full potential for Christ. Okay? There are a lot of people around with good hearts. There's a lot of people around who have good intentions who are commendable in those things. But they will fall, far, fall, they will fall far short, short of their potential for Christ, not because their hearts are not right, but because they don't have the self-control to honor God and to secure his blessing over their life. Okay, well, that's our treatment of these texts for today, and so that means it's time to ask the question we ask every week around here, what difference does all this make to my life? And you say, Gordon, I need, um, I, I get that I need self-control, but you haven't answered my problem. And my problem is, how do I get more of that, right? How do I get more of this self-control that the Bible's talking about? How do I get more of that in my life? Um, well, let's talk about that. I got two suggestions for you this morning, how you can increase self-control in your life. If it's such an important thing that God says, I'd rather have the person on my team who has self-control than the person who could take down a whole city by themselves. If it's that valuable, how can I get more of it? Two suggestions for you this morning. The first is to practice fasting. The spiritual discipline of fasting. Hey, Gordon, that doesn't sound like much fun. <laughs> no, it may not sound like a whole lot of fun, but I can assure you that the fastest way to procure self-control in your life is to identify something that you're going to do without for a while. Um, for example, that may be TV. Uh, maybe you may want to just say, I'm declaring a moratorium on TV for a whole week, right? You come home in the evenings, it's kind of your way to decompress at the end of a long day, uh, but you're just going to do without TV. Well, here's what's going to happen is when you do without TV and you're used to coming home and using that as a way to kind of settle down at the end of a long day, when you come home at the end of the day and it's time for you to settle down and you can't do this, all of a sudden your brain's going to go, well, hold on, what's going on here? And TV is going to become this dominant issue for your brain. Your brain, your mind is going to start longing for TV. And it's not going to understand why you want to go pick up a book or why you're going to go outside and pull some weeds. Well, when we get done weeds, we're going to go and watch some TV, right? Because that's what we do. And so your brain's going to be in this little game going back and forth between when do I get to watch TV again? And so watching TV is going to become the uppermost issue for you. 
And so all the periphery things going on, like appetites, desires, wants, other things that are controlling in your life, having trouble talking about people, your thought life, whatever it might be, those things that you've been struggling to get control of will become peripheral issues. And the dominant issue is going to be, when am I going to get to watch some more TV, right? And so that's what fasting does. Our brain says, where did all that go? Where did my ice cream go? Where did my Diet Coke go? Where did my sweets go? Where did my TV go? And the absence of those things becomes the dominant concern, the preoccupying force of our minds. Friend, when, though, when, that, when we take something out of our routine, um, it allows us to have control over all the other areas where we've been struggling. When we say no to that one thing, TV, whatever it might be, we're so much more capable and able to say no to all those other issues. Self-control over our thought life, self-control over our cravings, self-control over the things that come out of our mouth, self-control over our anger, our behavior, you name it, we're able to do it because the thing that we took out becomes the thing that's most dominant in our focus. Fasting is the quickest and most effective means for bringing the passions, the desires of the heart, out-of-control behaviors back under control. Jesus gave us this discipline as a gift. Um, he said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 16, Jesus said as part of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, and when you fast. Notice he didn't say, and if you fast. He said, when you fast. Jesus saw this as an expectation that we would do this. We would employ this discipline at different points and different times in our life when we needed to bring back into focus what our life is supposed to be about, to bring back on track our life when it begins to get a little out of control. Um, you say, Gordon, that sounds really great, but what happens when, uh, I mean, eventually I'm going to want to watch TV again, right? Or eventually the desire for TV after like a month of this is going to kind of wear off. And then I got to have something, I mean, I got to get back to a daily routine. And so what can I do as far as just part of just a daily routine uh, with, this whole, with this whole fasting thing if I'm not going to fast all the time? Uh, well, I'm glad you asked. Suggestion number two is to give yourself a cooling-off period. A cooling-off period. You know, some of the worst decisions that are ever made in our lives are made in the heat of the moment. Right? Some of the, some of the things that we say that we most regret are when our emotions are at their height. Some of the worst parenting decisions that we ever make are when we hit that boiling point. And so here's my Father's Day uh, lesson, or my Father's Day advice to you dads out there is that when you feel yourself and feel those emotions creeping in and they're beginning to run hot, take a time out, hop on your motorcycle, head down the road, go walk around the neighborhood, go hit some golf balls at the range, whatever it is that you do to just give yourself a little bit of time to cool down, give your mind a chance to re-enter the picture and so that your mind and your logic are beginning to drive the decisions that you're making and what's coming out of your mouth rather than those hot emotions. If you're an impulsive spender, make a rule that you will not buy anything, a major purchase, until you've gone back home, slept on it, got up the next day, so you've had a chance to kind of cool off, right? And think about it. If you have trouble getting angry with your children, make a rule that you're never going to speak to your children in an area of, discipline, of disobedience until you've gone for at least an hour and cooled off. You say, but I mean, after I wait an hour, it's not going to be as effective. Believe me, a spanking an hour after they did it, it perhaps may be more effective 
because they know it's coming. They got a whole hour to wait on that thing, right? Um, will be more effective. Take some time to cool off. If you have trouble yelling at your wife or yelling at your husband and saying things that you later regret, learn to walk away. Learn to give yourself a cooling off period. Agree that you'll talk about it later after some of the emotion is drained out of it. If you and your boss have trouble, you know, you're butting heads and you're wanting to get angry, step away for a moment. Go cool off. Let the emotions run out of the thing so that you can come back with a clear head. A cooling off period, friends, will help you to increase self-control in your life. Well, let me wrap up by saying that if you've given that I've given you two ways that you can increase self-control, but allow me to add that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says these words: the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, or goodness, faithfulness, and then verse 23, gentleness and self-control. Friends, you can fast all you want. You can take all the long cooling-off period that you could possibly need. But at the end of the day, when we're fighting the flesh with the flesh, guess who's going to win? We need the power of God operating in our life to give us that next next, uh, birth or that next ability. The Spirit of God is the one who uses fasting and cooling off periods as tools to increase our self-control. You and I can try all that we want to fight the flesh with our flesh, but we will always result in rejection and failure. We need the power of God operating in our life to make self-control possible. And so if you're here this morning, you'd say, hey, Gordon, you know what? I don't know that I've ever made a decision to enter into a real and personal relationship with Jesus. I don't know that I have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of me. Friends, we want to give you that opportunity today to have the power of God working inside of your heart, working inside of your life to enable you to have self-control. I'm going to give you that opportunity now. Let's bow our heads together. With no one, you don't have to pray this prayer out loud. You can just pray after me. This is something between you and the Lord Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today recognizing that I'm not where I need to be with you that if something tragic were to happen and death were to take me, I would not spend eternity with you in heaven. My sins are not forgiven. I come to you today, Jesus, to put my faith and my trust in what you did on the cross on my behalf. I ask you, Jesus, to wash my heart clean to cleanse me of all my sin, to give me life anew. And with these words, Lord, I know that heaven will now be my eternal home. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for your great love for me. And now, Lord, we turn our attention toward this table to be reminded of your broken body and of your shed blood. We're so thankful, Lord, for your great love for us, for your sacrifice, for your willingness to go to the cross, not just so that we could have eternal life, but also, Lord, so that we could have a comforter, a counselor, your Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us that we might do life better. God, pray for all of our dads today. Grant us control, 
self-control in those moments where emotions run hot. Help us, Lord, to secure your blessing over our life because our behaviors, our actions, our words honor you. Lord, we love you. We submit ourselves anew to you. And we pray all these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. I'm going to invite those of you who are here with us this morning to reach out in front of you. You've got the communion elements there. For those of you who are joining us online, we appreciate you being a part of our service today. We hope you have a blessed week.